It's time now for Spears on Sports with John Spears, presented by M&M Carnage. And now, here's Johnny. I made it through the weekend. Hope you had a great weekend. Welcome in Spears on Sports, presented by M&M Carnage. John Spears in studio Monday, June 20th. I don't know why I'm here. It's a national holiday, Juneteenth. But uh, somehow, some way, I went to the bank today. Guess what? They're closed. Yeah. Don't try to get your mail out of the mailbox today. You're not getting any mail. But I'm here. Ah, I'm a warrior. I'm a warrior. I'm soft, but I'm a warrior. And I made it in on this Monday, June 20th. Eminem Cartage Hotline is open, 502-384-1450. 384-1450 to join in on the conversation. If you'd like to hit me up on the Thornton's text line, it's 502-414-1450. Don't forget Thornton's. Perfect stop for all the best pick-me-up items you need to get your day started, like our fresh coffee, delicious donuts. Visit our friends at Thornton's and hit me up on the Thornton's text line, 502-414-1450. John Hale, Courier-Journal, beat writer for UK Athletics, will join me in about 15 minutes. We'll talk uh, some UK football, UK basketball. The NBA draft is Thursday. The season just ended this past Thursday with the Warriors' title win over the Celtics, and there are a couple Kentucky Wildcats that have a chance to be lottery picks. Shaden Sharp will be a lottery pick. Now, Big Blue Nation's probably mad at what I called him, a former Kentucky Wildcat, since he didn't play one minute of basketball in a Big Blue uniform. But when he is announced on Thursday, get ready for it, the fill-in-the-blank with the fill-in-the-blank selection of the 2022 NBA draft select Shaden Sharp out of the University of Kentucky. That's how it's going to sound on Thursday. Ty Ty Washington, he is borderline lottery pick. Probably going to go in the first round. Maybe if uh, a team – it only takes one team to fall in love with you, and he'll be probably maybe close to a lottery pick. And we'll talk some U.K. football as well, the Chris Rodriguez saga. Where do we stand on that? Will he ever wear a Kentucky uniform again? Leon Cohen, the former offense coordinator, what's the transition been in camp? Uh, Will Levis, will he be promoted heavily for a Heisman Trophy? So uh, a lot of things to talk about. UK basketball, the incoming freshmen, they look like men, folks. They look like 28-year-old fathers of three. They look like men. C.J. Frederick, where is he right now? We'll ask John all of these questions. Baseball news, the Yankees finally lost yesterday. We'll get to that. The Yankees lead the league in home runs, but they're 13th in the league in hits. So basically, when they hit it, they hit it a long way. But one thing people have always said, one constant in baseball, is good pitching beats good hitting. And if you don't give up the home run to the Yankees, you can beat the Yankees. They have the best record in baseball. They are chasing the best record, regular season record ever in baseball. And they have a beat on it. But what happens in the postseason when they go up against great pitching? We shall see. Padres' Manny Machado got hurt, rolled his ankle, uh, stepping on first base, trying to run out of ground ball. It surprised me because Manny Machado doesn't usually run out ground balls. That's where I need a rim shot. No rim shot. Okay. But 
In any event, we'll see how long he is out. Uh, Pirates have a new hero in town as well. We begin with the U.S. Open. U.S. Open golf yesterday. I was uh, ensconced. I was a fixture in my recliner for about eight hours yesterday watching U.S. Open golf. It was great. It was heavy theater yesterday. Congratulations to Matthew Fitzpatrick, who wins with a six-under, his first major. Uh, the British golfer, English golfer with the win. Will Zalatoris, Scotty Scheffler, one shot back. Full disclosure, Tony Burke picked Will Zalatoris at 25-1, to Scotty Scheffler at 12-1. to And because he did, I had a little bit of uh, green on those two guys as well. You know what you get for second place? Nothing. Hideki Matsuyama had a great fourth round, final round, finished at three under to finish fourth. I've, uh, I don't want to be a jerk here, okay? I know I am a jerk, but I don't want to be a jerk. But uh, here's grumpy old man coming out. All the guys that played on the Live Golf Tour, all the PGA Tour members, former PGA Tour members, I guess, at this point, who played on the Live Golf Tour, did not play well. And I smiled the whole time. Sergio Garcia missed the cut. Taylor Gooch missed the cut. Louis Oosthuizen missed the cut. Phil Mickelson missed the cut by a bunch. He was plus 11 after Friday's round. Guys that made the cut, Kevin Na, by the way, missed the cut. I said that, I think. Guys that made the cut, Dustin Johnson finished four over, 10 shots back. Patrick Reed finished 10 over. Bryson DeChambeau finished 13 over. The Live Golf Tour did not have a good U.S. Open. Now, the next event in Live Golf is June 30th through July 2nd. Not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. It's in Portland, Oregon. And we'll see what the fans in Portland will be like. Portland loves a protest, and I can't imagine there won't be signs and protesters outside the venue. Obviously, they won't be allowed in. No signs will be allowed in, but there will be protesters outside the venue. The best thing I saw yesterday, Rory McIlroy, who I think finished two under, got the chance after he finished on 18. I don't think I've ever seen a, a non-winner or a non-leader at the end of three rounds get chance, get his name chanted when he didn't win anything. He finished four shots back. Rory McIlroy is now the face of the PGA Tour. It could just as easily be Justin Thomas, who finished plus seven yesterday. Uh, it could just as easily be Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, Will Zalatoris, Scotty Scheffler. It could be any of those guys. But the guy that got the chance... C-H-A-N-T-S, if you don't know what I'm trying to say there, who got the biggest, loudest roar at 18, other than the winner, was Rory McIlroy. He was the favorite to win the U.S. Open. And he finished tied for fifth. And he still heard his name roared after 18 holes. He is the new face of the PGA Tour because he has said what he has said about Live Golf and Greg Norman and the Saudi uh, money. He said everything that everybody else wants to say but hasn't. 
And because of that, he's now the ambassador for the PGA Tour. And he's not even an American. Northern Ireland. He made it clear he wants nothing to do with the Live Tour. He made it clear you're doing this for the money. Don't say anything else except I'm doing this for the money. Because if you weren't offered this kind of money, you wouldn't go to the Live Golf Tour. Plain and simple. If you're offered the same money or maybe even a little more than the PGA Tour will give you, you're not going. So, yes, it is all about the money. I thought the crowds in Boston were great for the most part to all of the players from the Live Golf Tour. We expect we didn't know what to expect. It's Boston. It's loud. It's boisterous. You get into your cups a little bit. You get into your adult beverages. And all of a sudden, you start yelling. And I'm sure, I'm certain that these fans were warned as they came in the property yesterday, or all weekend for that matter, hey, any any activity that we deem unacceptable, you're gone. You're off the premises. That's it. We take your pass away and you're gone. I'm sure they were told that. But you start drinking. You uh, have, have a little fun. Uh, and all of a sudden there's Dustin Johnson at the tee box or Bryson DeChambeau who's not playing well. And maybe you want to give him a little jab. Just say say something inappropriate to him. Or if in you know, in your case, what you think is appropriate. I didn't hear, I heard one episode, I didn't hear much else, but I heard one guy yell something to Phil Mickelson regarding his gambling issue. One guy, it was a Thursday, first round, Phil hit a shot and somebody yelled, Al Horford over 10 and a half points tonight. The Celtics were getting ready to play at home against the Warriors and uh, somebody was giving Phil a little friendly gambling advice. Other than that, we didn't hear any cat calls. We didn't hear any boos. Uh, we didn't hear any inappropriate shouts after a, a swing. Uh, you hear the regular stuff, you to man, mashed potatoes, whatever these crazy golf fans yell. But nothing live tour related or nothing that could be construed as the fans getting on the golfers that played in London last week. Portland may be a little different. Portland, you're going to have protesters out there. Now, the, the thing about Portland is this is going to be a live golf event. This is not a USGA or a PGA event. This is a live golf event that will be in direct contrast with a PGA Tour event. I don't know where the PGA is this week. And I don't know how many guys are going to play on the PGA Tour this week because a lot of guys, they just played the U.S. Open. They're going to try to get ready now for the Open Championship at St. Andrews. So uh, they they bide their time in between. The Travelers Championship in Cromwell, Connecticut, Harris English, by the way, defending champion, is uh, the PGA Tour event this week. And then next week, Opposite the Live Golf Tour event in Portland is the John Deere Classic in uh, Silvis, Illinois at TPC Deer Run. We shall see when they go head-to-head what happens. The Live Golf Tour, by the way, will apply today for status in the official world golf rankings. They want their tournaments to be counted towards world golf ranking points. Right now... 
Scotty Scheffler is number one in the world. John Rahm is number two in the world. Rory, I believe, is number three in the world. And the Live Golf Tour can go a long way toward gaining credibility if the official world golf rankings allow their tournaments to be taken into consideration for, you know, number one golfer in the world and every golfer's world ranking. So they're going to apply today. We'll see what happens. Um, here's the difference. It's a 54-hole tournament, not 72. These are 54-hole events. They are 48-man events, which means no cut. Everybody gets to play three rounds. These feel like more of an exhibition than an actual tournament. You get guaranteed money to play. You're only playing three rounds, and there's no cut. That seems like an exhibition, right? That seems like a little weekend with, with your buddies. I got a three-week three tournament coming up in a few weeks, three-night tournament, three-day tournament that I play in every year with my buddies. 20 of us, we go to Rosewood in, in uh, 11 in Kentucky. We play 90 holes. We have a, a lot of adult beverages, a little swimming time, a little dinner after the, after the uh, 36 hole days. That's what this sounds like on the Live Golf Tour. Nobody gets cut from our Rosewood Open, right? We don't play 72 tournament holes. We only play 54. It feels like the Live Golf Tour in my opinion, should not be eligible for official world golf rankings. Because it's not a full tournament. Because there is no cut. It's a shotgun start. We don't have shotgun starts on the PGA Tour. You have a morning session, you have an afternoon session. Then Friday you have the uh, reverse, flip-flop. If you play in the morning, you play in the afternoon. If you play in the afternoon, you play in the morning. And then there's a cut. And then you go out based on your score. Live Golf Tour, I watched the first event for about 20 minutes. It doesn't feel like you're watching any competitive golf. It feels like you're watching an exhibition where everybody's getting paid and you're just going out and playing a little golf. So congrats to Matthew Fitzpatrick. He took more money out of my pocket. Wins his first major, six under. Zalatoris, I thought Zalatoris' last putt was going to go. The funny thing is, on 17, I thought he was going to miss a putt. He made it. On 18, I thought he was going to make it. He missed it. Um, it would have been great theater had he made it. And Will Zalatoris, by the way, his record in majors is incredible. PGA Championship, he was in a playoff with Justin Thomas. That was the most recent major before yesterday. Top 10 in the Masters. He's going to win one, and he's going to win one soon. And he looks like Happy Gilmore's caddy. But he's going to win some golf tournaments. He's very talented. All right, take a break. John Hale will join me on the other side. We'll talk UK athletics, College World Series news as well. You're listening to Spears on Sports presented by Eminem Cartage on the Big X. Spears 
on Sports. Welcome back. Good to be back. Even though it's a holiday, I don't know why I'm here. Uh, M&M Cartage Hotline is open, 384-1450. Thorns Text Line open as well, 502-414-1450. Bats beat Durham last night, 5-4. To finish off that series, they come home tomorrow to take on the Iowa Cubs. 7.05 game time tomorrow, 6.35. Pre-game, Nick Curran, Bats play-by-play voice, will join me tomorrow on the show. But right now, let's uh, go to the M&M Cartage Hotline. And we were going to bring in John Hale, but I think we may have lost him. Yeah. Well, College World Series, we'll try to get John back on the phone. Uh, College World Series last night, Oklahoma beat Notre Dame 6-2. Oklahoma is uh, now in the driver's seat on their side of the bracket. Texas was eliminated by Texas A&M yesterday. SEC looking good. John Hale, are you with me? Hello, yeah, John. Oh, how you doing, buddy? Good, how are you? Good, it's, it's been a while. I, I guess we've, we forgot how to do this, right? Yeah, I don't know what was going on there. I was uh, was really confused. John Hale, UK basketball and football and sports, I guess. Uh, beat writer for the Courier Journal. Uh, let's start with hoops. UK's in the Bahamas, uh, August eighth through the fourteenth. How many practices do they get? How many games are they going to play? And uh, what's the competition going to be like in the Bahamas? Yeah, they're playing four games. Um, it's a hard read on how, how difficult the competition is. Usually there's one of the four teams that's like pretty decent. I mean, if we remember that 2014-15 team actually lost their last game in the Bahamas to uh, the Dominican Republic, coached yeah. by in Orlando Antigua. Um, so, you know, I expect them to get challenged a little bit, but most of the teams are a bunch of you know guys who are um, kind of floating around internationally and not playing. Uh, I think there's one team from Canada that just some highlight videos of people were, were p- posting around after the trip was announced. It looks pretty decent, but I cannot uh, lie and say that I have the scouting reports on any of these teams. It's, it's more about Kentucky getting to know themselves and uh, and trying out rotations and, and all of those kind of things. So uh, they've already started practicing. Uh, they're limited on the amount of time they can practice uh, each week, but um, that will give them some, some lead up before the Bahamas too. I've seen some video, John. The incoming freshmen look like uh, they look like men. They look like construction workers. Yeah, that's an interesting kind of development versus what we've we've become used to seeing. If you you know most of the last four or five years, I, I guess the difference is they don't have a big man in this freshman class, and that's the area where uh, Kentucky's freshmen over the last five or six years have really physically been uh, lacking that needed some development. So they just don't have one of those guys. But both Chris Livingston and Case of Wallace look like you know college ready guards. Um, both big physical guys. Both projected as one and done. You know first round picks a year from now. We'll see how that goes. Obviously, but I don't think um, they're going to need much time to to adapt to the physicality of the college game. At least I know Big Blue Nation is going to be happy to see some basketball. Try to get that bitter taste out of their mouth about St. Peter's. But and one of the guys they want to see is C.J. Frederick. Uh, is he a hundred percent now? I mean, he's cleared to practice, and I think he's okay. building up to be 100% in the Bahamas. But my understanding is right now he's not going through absolutely everything. I think they're you know taking it gradually in this month period leading up to the trip with the hope that he'd be able to play. I still expect, even if he is 100% when they get to the Bahamas, they're not going to play him 30 minutes or anything like that. They will be very cautious with him there, but it will be nice to see him um, I can't remember if he actually played in the blue-white scrimmage last year. I know he won the Big Blue Madness three-point contest, and there was an open practice we went to he was healthy for. Then he got – I mean, he was hurt in the summer, got healthy, 
Then he got hurt right again uh, before the season and came back for that opener. He was, I mean, that's when he injured his hamstring. He was warming up before the game at Madison Square Garden and, and you know, didn't in the end, and suffered the injury that ended up keeping him out for the year. So um, until we see him actually playing in games, there's a, a fair amount of reason to you know, hold your breath a little bit. But assuming everything goes well, it would be nice to, to finally get a glimpse of them in the Bahamas. Oscar Shibway was a double-double machine last year. How does he improve on that year? Good question. And my projection, my gut is that he's going to statistically be a little worse this year. But as a team, if they're better, that's a nice trade-off. I mean, uh, if we're looking at precedent, the last guy who was the unanimous player of the year to come back to school was Tyler Hansborough in 2008. He did not win the award as a senior, but North Carolina won the national championship. And obviously, that's a trade that Oscar Shibuya in Kentucky would take, you know, in a heartbeat. Um, it's interesting his individual game. The, all the feedback from NBA guys was. You need to show off your jump shot, stretch the floor, maybe all the way out to three-point range. I would be shocked if John Calipari is letting Oscar Shibway <laughs> shoot a bunch of threes this year. He already, in one radio appearance, kind of talked back or walked that back a little bit and said he doesn't need to shoot threes. He just needs to you know shoot that mid-range jumper that we saw him do some last year. So I'm interested to see how his offensive game changes and how Kentucky uses him because, you know, frankly – He's so valuable around the basket with those offensive rebounds and putbacks. It's it's kind of hard to imagine. You know, the best version of Kentucky is Oscar Sheway floating around on the perimeter or even in the mid range. So, uh, I'm interested to see that. And the Bahamas is a really nice chance to you know experiment with some of that because the games don't count. So they probably will let him shoot some jumpers there and see if that's something that he can you know put on the scouting report. Speaking of the NBA, the draft is Thursday. Shaden Sharp's going to be a lottery pick. Uh, Big Blue Nation seems to be pretty upset about the fact that he's not coming back and decided not to play ever at the University of Kentucky. What's the feeling inside the building there on Shaden Sharp? I mean, I think there's definitely some hurt feelings, maybe a little bit of embarrassment because they were so confident all last year that he was coming back and then he didn't. But John Calipari is, you know, for better or worse, all about his players. And I expect, um, I imagine he's going to be there Thursday night, especially with Ty Ty Washington in the green room now. And he'll... Celebrate Shaden Sharp, and after he declared, he said all the right things. Or even before he declared about how you know, things had changed, and he can't really turn down the projection he was getting. And um, I, I certainly think there's no love lost between Calipari and Shaden's mentor, who was you know running the show the entire time. But um, I'm sure if Shaden Sharp turns into turns out to be as good as people think he can be, and he's an NBA star, John Calipari, as long as he's Kentucky, he's going to put him front and center on on the marketing campaign stuff. So you expect Calipari to be sitting at the Sharp table? And if he is, and he hugs Shaden Sharp, is that a good look for the uh, Big Blue Nation? Are they going to get angry with Cal, or does he even care? I don't think he probably cares. I mean, they, they probably there will certainly be some people who are angry about it, but I don't know what good it does him to you know stand off and, and not celebrate that if he's there. I mean, maybe he comes up with a reason not to be there. He has set the precedent now because, what, two years ago, nobody was there in person because of COVID. Last year, he missed the draft because he was positive for COVID. So it's not like he's gone every year like it was for so long. So, you know, maybe something happens and he doesn't go this week. But if he's there, he's going to, you know, go over and hug Shaden and, and, you know, celebrate with him when he's, when he's uh, drafted. How high do you expect Ty Ty Washington to go? Yeah, he's an interesting one. I was reading something this morning that um, some anonymous scout people think he's going to drop a little bit. And, you know, it took him a while to get his invite to the draft, uh, to the green room. So, it wouldn't shock me if this was a Tyrese Maxey situation where he's, you know, hanging around outside the lottery, you know, into the second half of the first round. And, you know, that same scout made the point that, you know, this Kentucky effect is real. Those, there are a lot of guards they've had recently who have fallen to the draft and then turned out to be really productive 
NBA guys early in their careers, you know, Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel Quickly, Kelton Johnson, those guys. So we'll see uh, how it goes. Um, I kind of would be surprised if he's a lottery pick at this point, but uh, apparently his pre-draft workouts weren't great. But certainly he's going to go somewhere in the first round. Yeah, the Sixers aren't upset about the fact that Tyrese Maxey dropped. He had a great rookie year. We're talking to John Hale, Courier-Journal beat writer for UK Athletics. Let's turn to football. Uh, Mark Stoops mentioned this week uh, that most of the coaches in the SEC want to stick with the eight-game conference schedule. Are you buying that? That's interesting. I mean, I think Nick Saban is the guy, obviously, leading the charge for nine, or Alabama at least has been that. But he also has had some public comments recently that expressed a little bit of hesitance about, you know, what's happening and doesn't want to, um, you know, if, if the rest of the Power Five leagues are staying at eight games, if they're not adding eight games, you don't want to add another loss for a bunch of your teams to make it harder to get in the playoff, especially if they don't expand the playoff, which surely they're going to do, but who knows how long it's going to take. Yeah. Um, I think there are legitimate reasons to keep it a date, and certainly Mark Stoops has reasons to want to keep it there, but um, it's just so much money talks, you know, it feels like eventually it's it's going to get to nine, and, and they will convince everybody that it needs to be nine for whatever, you know, uh, whatever they have to give to get the, the vote where it needs to be, and then once it's clear it's going to be nine, I expect it to be, what, like a unanimous thing where everybody comes out, so we were in favor of it all the time. Oh, yeah, we, lo- we loved it. it was, we thought it was a yeah. great idea. Uh, if, it, if it does go to nine, or when it does go to nine, of course, Louisville and Kentucky fans want to play each other. Does Kentucky drop Louisville here? Yeah, I actually have a story about this coming tomorrow. Uh, I talked to Mitch Barnhart a little bit last Thursday after the athletics board meeting about that very thing. I don't think it's a done deal by any means. Uh, certainly, I think it's it's fair to say that game is at risk. I think that's ridiculous. There's no reason that they can't play nine SEC games and play Louisville. Yeah. But it's not quite as simple as protecting the bowl eligibility thing, which is how it's being painted. That you know they want to stay at eight games, so you have an easier path to six wins. They are past that point, and everybody in the program thinks they're past that point. And certainly, the way the Louisville games have gone recently, you can't be afraid of beating Louisville if, or you know losing to Louisville if, if you think you're a legitimate SEC East or whatever the SEC looks like after they drop the divisions contender. And, but it, it's fair to say that. They need that home game every other year for revenue. Obviously, you lose a home game of revenue and ticket sales. That changes your entire financial outlook in the athletic department. And so now, every other year when Louisville's at home, they get four home games. And the years Louisville's on the road, they get three home games from non-conference play. Well, if you add an SEC game, that means that you're already losing a home game every other year. And even if you stagger those with Louisville, where you're at Louisville one year and then at the ninth SEC opponent the next year, uh, then that's a problem where you're only getting three home games every year. And so uh, that affects the financial picture. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I'm wondering if, if that's going to change anyway, because already Kentucky has signed deals to where they, I think they play at Akron and at Toledo uh, and over the next seven or eight years because they had, to, they had to do home and homes to get those teams to come here. So a lot of group of five teams aren't doing the whole, you know, pay us a bunch of money and we'll come play a one-off at, at your stadium anymore. So that those days may be over anyway. Um, and the public pressure certainly is going to be on playing that game. So I just wonder if they're going to try and use it as leverage as long as they can. And then if it does go to a nine-game schedule, uh, they'll just cave and, and, and play it anyway. Talking to John Hale from the Courage Journal, where do we stand on the Chris Rodriguez situation? Will he be wearing a uniform? 
Yeah, I mean, nobody knows. And I, I mean, I legitimately don't think that Chris knows or that the people at UK know. I mean, I think that the good thing about it being the summer is you don't have to make a decision about that right now, whatever the other circumstances are in addition to the DUI charge, which nobody has reported, nobody has, has given hard and firm facts on whatever the situation is. It does seem like a, a spot where he has the ability to kind of earn his way back into the good graces. And so you see what happens over the course of the summer and and go from there, and and then the legal process will, with the DUI charge, will hopefully have played out a little bit more by uh, the time you're opening fall camp in a month and a half from now, or whatever, and we'll have a little more information. But as of now, I, I certainly don't think you can count on him to be out there game one. But um, he's he's on the team. He's in Lexington. The rest of the team's back. He was spotted at some of their camps last week, so it's not like he's gone for sure by any means. Uh, Will Levis, he's been uh, seen hanging out with some celebrities, including Tom Brady. Are we going to have a huge promotional campaign, Levis for Heisman, coming up this year? It's going to be interesting to see how they, they manage that. I would imagine that they're going to try to do some of it, but I, I would be eager to see if they kind of slow play it to you know let him go out and play a couple games, say you beat Florida the second week, and then you launch it from there just to make yeah. sure that he's kind of matching that hype versus uh, what's going on. Obviously, I think anybody would be shocked if Will Levis wins the Heisman because you know generally goes to a player who's on a national championship contender, and I don't think anybody sees Kentucky that way. But you know, you never know. Maybe uh, Bryce Young's back, and obviously a bunch of good players all around the country. But he's so you know eager to embrace all the NIL stuff, and you know maybe more than any player in the country, he's really benefited from that. You know, building his profile and building his brand. Uh, the marketing campaign feels like it would it would really fit right into that. The risk, though, is if you launch it before the season, and then you know he's not a perfect player by any means, and he's got things he needs to work on, and then he comes out and you know looks like he did in some of his worst games last year. Then you've added pressure on him that you don't need to. So if if I were them, and they're not asking me for advice, <laughs> I would wait a couple weeks to to see if uh, if he's actually you know matching all this hype that's building over the summer. He's done a great job of putting himself in a position with a dynamic personality to, for, to have people talking about him, though, right? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I can't think of many players in the country who have used this NIL opportunities better than him. Yeah. I mean, you know, a year ago, nobody knew who he was. He was a backup, nationally at least. I mean, he was a backup quarterback from Penn State, you know, eating the banana and all the weird stuff that he was doing on, on TikTok or whatever put him on the radar, and then he went out and backed it up and, and played really, really well, and now people are talking about him as a first-round pick and maybe even a top-ten pick, and um, he's definitely used that stuff to to develop himself both on and off the field, and if you're talking about becoming a franchise quarterback, that off-the-field stuff really matters, and so I think he knows that, and he's doing it very you know consciously. Most important thing, Liam Cohen, the transition from Liam Cohen, uh, replacing Wondell Robinson, or the offensive line being a big blue wall again. What, what, what are those three, if I, you had to pick one, is most important? I think replacing Wondell Robinson. I mean, I think the offense, I think losing Liam Cohen's a big deal. But, you know, hiring Rich Scangarello from the similar offensive scheme, an NFL guy, you know, who's apparently a very good quarterback teacher, you, the transition there shouldn't be too bad. I think the offensive line's in a really good spot on the interior positions. Uh, the tackles are still a question mark, but the fact that they didn't go out and try and add a, a transfer tackle this summer for, you know, all means necessary tells me they felt pretty good about what their young tackles were doing in spring. So you feel good about the development at that spot. But the wide receiver question, until we see somebody do it, I mean, Wondell was just such a huge part of their offense last year. It was him and basically nobody else at receiver. 
that's going to be the biggest question for me is Will Levis is a legitimate first-round pick. How's he play when he doesn't have Wondell Robinson out there to throw to 75% of the time or whatever? I think Tavion Robinson, the transfer from Virginia Tech, is really good. It would be unfair to expect him to break the school record and you know catches and, and receiving yards like Wondell Robinson yeah. did, though. So he's going to need help. And guys like Dane Key, the freshman, and uh, Demarcus Harris, who came on down the stretch last year, those guys are going to need to play well. And then probably some other freshmen, whether it's Barry on Brown or Jordan Anthony, guys that were not on campus for spring, they're going to need contributions from those guys, especially because the Alabama transfer that we thought they were signing is not coming the Syracuse transfer they thought they were signing back in the winter is not coming, and so they clearly wanted to add another veteran receiver there and didn't get one. John, appreciate your time as always. Uh, we'll talk to you sooner than later. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me. John Hale, Courier Journal beat writer for UK Athletics. Baseball on the other side. We'll talk about the Yankees, the Mets, uh, maybe the Reds. I hate talking about the Reds, but we'll talk about some baseball uh, and check the uh, Thornton's text line as well. You're listening to Spears on Sports. Presented by Eminem Cartage on the Big X. Welcome back, Spears on Sports. Presented by Eminem Cartage. John Spears in studio. Eminem Cartage hotline open 502 384 1450 to join in on the conversation. 384 1450. Thornton's text line open as well. 502-414-1450. It is Summer Cash Bash at Thornton's. Each week, one lucky Refreshing Rewards member will win $10,000. That happens all summer long with the grand prize of a 2022 Chevy Tahoe. Just open your Refreshing Rewards app, click on the Summer Cash Bash icon to enter. You can also earn additional entries by purchasing select top brands like Mountain Dew 20-ounce bottles, hot dogs, Bud Light 12-packs, large Doritos, many more using your Refreshing Rewards card. It's Thornton Summer Cash Bash. If you're not a Refreshing Rewards member, become one now. Text rewards to 80313. And hit me up on the Thornton's text line, 502-414-1450. That's 414-1450. Texter says, I'm glad you actually have a live show today, unlike another show with uh, some letters. <laughs> okay. I think I know who we're talking about there. Yep. Juneteenth. June 20th, celebrating it today. It's actually Juneteenth is June 19th. Um, but uh, we're celebrating today, and I'm celebrating by not having a day off. So there you go. I'll have a day off Wednesday. we got Bats Baseball early on Wednesday, so uh, no show Wednesday. I will celebrate Wednesday. Yeah. Why not? Go to a pool or something. Maybe hit the casino. We'll do something like that. That's, uh, I mentioned, lose uh, a win yesterday, 5-4 in Durham. It was a late afternoon game, kind of weird on getaway day in Durham, but uh, the Bats got the win. They'll play tomorrow, 7.05, game time, 6.35, pregame with Nick Curran and Jim Kelch. The Iowa Cubs in town starting tomorrow for a six-game homestand. Don't forget, Thursday we'll do boxing movies. I changed my mind here, all right? I was going to do boxing, wrestling, and MMA movies. Boxing would dominate that, though. So I don't think it's fair to wrestling and MMA. Uh, here's what we're going to do in the next few weeks. We'll do boxing movies this Thursday. So that means we will have done baseball, basketball, football, golf, and boxing. Then the following week, we're going to do any other sport, all, com all other sports combined other than those five, 
what's your favorite sports movie? And then we'll do something new that I think is fun. Favorite role in a movie by a sports figure. It can be a coach. It can be a player. It can be a broadcaster. Any sports figure, favorite role in a movie. And I'll give you an example. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Airplane as the pilot Roger Murdoch slash NBA star Kareem Abdul-Jabbar because, you know, when they drag him out and he's got the shorts and the knee pads and the sneakers on and the goggles, that is one of the funniest scenes in the history of, of cinema. So, you know, LeBron's been in some movies. Michael's been in some movies. We've got baseball players that have been in some movies. So football players uh, have been in movies as well. So we're going to pick your favorite athlete or sports figure, you know, Marv Albert, Dan Patrick. A lot of these uh, broadcasters have been in movies. Coaches, if you saw The Blind Side, there were a ton of coaches that came through that movie. A ton of uh, college football coaches. So we'll do that in a few weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun. But this week, for this week, we're going to do boxing movies only. Um, Thursday, you can send yours to the text line, 414-1450. I need your top three boxing movies of all time, and uh, we'll we'll – Add them all up, and Thursday we'll have the uh, results of the poll. All right, the College World Series. On one bracket, Oklahoma, who's now, by the way, the favorite, and that's because they're in the finals of their bracket, okay? Somebody's going to beat them twice. Uh, They're the favorites now. They beat Notre Dame 6-2 last night. Oklahoma opened the College World Series on Friday with a 13-8 win over Texas A&M. Notre Dame beat Texas 7-3. Losers bracket yesterday, A&M over Texas 10-2. So the Longhorns are out, and Oklahoma beat Notre Dame 6-2. Notre Dame will have to now beat Texas A&M, and the winner of that game will have to beat Oklahoma twice to get to the College World Series three-game final. In the other bracket, Arkansas upset Stanford. I don't know if it's an upset when you beat somebody 17-2, but Arkansas drummed the number two overall seed in the college were in the tournament. Number one seed Tennessee is already eliminated. Number two Stanford gets beat 17-2 to by Arkansas. And then Ole Miss in the SEC matchup beat Auburn 5-1. to So today, 2 o'clock, it'll be Auburn against Stanford in an elimination game. And then at 7 o'clock tonight, Mississippi and Arkansas, another SEC matchup in the uh, in that bracket, winner's bracket final. That half of the, of the draws, winner's bracket final. SEC, I'm telling you. A&M still alive, hanging on by the skin of their teeth. Mississippi and Arkansas are in a winner's bracket final tonight. And uh, Auburn also still alive. Four of the seven seven teams still left in Omaha are Southeastern Conference schools. And if Auburn beats Stanford at 2 o'clock today, it'll be four out of six that are left SEC schools. All right, uh, Major League Baseball. I did a little research on the Yankees over the weekend. They uh, they hit five home runs yesterday. Now, they lost to Tampa Bay. They had an 8-3 lead, or Toronto, excuse me. They had an 8-3 lead. The Jays came back, hit a grand slam of their own. They beat the Yankees 10-9 yesterday. Uh, the Yankees lead the league in home runs with 105. Atlanta's second with 98. But, it, but the Yankees are also 13th in the league in hits, which tells me a bigger majority of their hits are home runs than any other team in the league. They are 13-5 and five in one-run games. Now, when you look at the Yankees, and believe me, I look at the Yankees every night. They are fun to watch because you got some bombers coming up to the plate, and they've got pretty good pitching. 
But when you look at the standings, the Yankees are 49 and 17 now. 13 and 5 in one-run games, which means they win the close ones. Here's the thing. Anybody can win the close ones. If they're 5 and 13 instead of 13 and 5, this is a different conversation. Even if they're 9 and 9 instead of 13 and 5, it's a different conversation. I don't know that this holds up for the long run. Um, I don't have the Yankees in the World Series. I, I didn't have them at the beginning of the year. I had the Angels. That's not going very well, although the Angels did win three out of four this weekend. Uh, make it four out of five against Seattle. But I'm not sure the Yankees are going to hang on here. Now, pitching's good. Garrett Cole will pitch tonight. They still got Jamison Talon. Nestor Cortez has been a revela- revelation for the Yankee pitching staff. The pitching's been good, but they have escaped in a lot of these one-run games. They lost one yesterday, ten to nine, or they would be, you know, if they held on to that game last night, they'd be fourteen and four in one-run game. Guess who leads the major leagues in average batting average? What team leads the major leagues in batting average? It's the same team that leads in RBIs. They lead in hits. They lead in on-base percentage, and they lead in runs scored. Not the Yankees, it's the New York Metropolitans. The Amazons, the Mets, meet the Mets, we're the Mets. Yeah, Mr. Met with the big head, yeah, the the apple comes up after a home run. They lead the league in all those categories. The Mets are 44-24. and They lost yesterday to Miami, but they won two out of three in that series against the Marlins. They'll play the Marlins again today. It's a makeup game, 1 o'clock in Shea even though I think the Marlins are going to be the home team. I don't know how that works out. Uh, It's a makeup from the early year games that were canceled. The Mets are really, 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 really good. And keep this in mind. Jacob deGrom hasn't thrown a pitch this season. Max Scherzer has been out since late April, mid-April really, and hasn't pitched. They're going to get those guys back. The hitting's been incredible. Pete Alonzo, in my opinion, is the leading candidate in the National League for MVP. If you look at the odds for MVP in the National League, top of the list is Paul Goldschmidt of the St. Louis Cardinals. It's not Pete Alonzo. Manny Machado, who hurt his ankle yesterday, is at the top of the list as well. I think Pete Alonzo should be at the top of the list for MVP. He just should. Pete Alonso's hitting uh, 280, 19 home runs. I think that leads to the National League. 63 runs batted in. His on-base percentage is 362. His OPS, and if you don't know what that is, I get it. I didn't know what it was for years. It's on-base percentage plus slugging. His OPS is 970. That's, that's huge. He's going to be your MVP. And when you look at the rest of that roster, you got a leadoff hitter in Nemo who's very good getting on base. That's why they lead the league in on base percentage. You got Francisco Lindor hitting third, Alonzo's hitting fourth, Mark Canna, who they picked up from Oakland at the off, in the offseason, is hitting like seventh in that lineup. He's been a, a unbelievable find. Escobar at third base has played very well. The Mets have a five and a half game lead over Atlanta. And by the way, this is for my texter who texted me last week, and you know who you are. The Cubs took two out of three against Atlanta. 
over the weekend. All right? So you want to make fun of my Cubs. I get it. You're a big Braves fan. You won the World Series. La-di-da. You're on top of the world. Cubs took two out of three. Right? You can't lose two out of three to the Cubs and say, we're still a really good team. You can't do it. Because I will freely admit, my Cubs are awful. Awful. All right. Get that out of my way. But the Mets are incredible. Uh, fun to watch. And Buck Showalter, he was on the scrap heap of managers. Did a good job in Baltimore. Nobody cared because they were Baltimore. They had no talent and they couldn't win. Did a good job in, in New York with a Yankee team that was not good, not talented. This is pre-Aaron Judge. This is pre-Giancarlo uh, Stanton. This is long before DJ LeMahieu came aboard or Josh Donaldson or Garrett Cole or any of those other guys. They were bad. The Yankees had a period where they were just not talented, and Buck Showalter took the heat. He went to the MLB Network. He did some play-by-play. He did some studio stuff, and he found a spot with the New York Mets. The Mets were awful. In fact, on this program, when somebody did something silly, whatever team it was, I would always say, they're doing Mets things. They're doing Mets things. It was an insult. Not anymore. Buck Showalter is the right manager for that team. He's done a great job holding it together, waiting for those two Cy Young award-winning pitchers to come back. Chris Bassett has been great as uh, the starting pitcher. Taiwan Walker, okay. Bullpen, Diaz at the end of the bullpen. They gets a lot of saves. He shuts teams down. Mets might be the best team in New York. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe he said that. Yeah, there it is. The Mets might be the best team in New York. By the way, did you see the uh, feel-good story in Pittsburgh yesterday? The Pirates beat the Giants 4-3. to A rookie, Jack Swinski. No, I'm sorry, I've said that wrong. Jack Swinski. Yeah, you don't know who he is. Neither do I. He had three home runs in a 4-3 win, including a walk-off. That was a feel-good story. Uh, showing his family in the stands. I'm watching that game. I know. What, what am I doing with my life? I'm watching the Giants and the Pirates. I get it. Jack Suwinski. It was worth the price of admission. Worth the price of admission. So I'm going to go on record here. They're not, they may not finish with a better record, but the Mets are a better team than the Yankees. Yankees are fun. Hit a lot of homers. The Mets play baseball. Thanks to John Hale, Courier Journal, for joining me today. Nick Curran, Bats play-by-play voice, will join me tomorrow. We'll talk about the upcoming series against the Iowa Cubs. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Spears on Sports, presented by Eminem Cartage on the Big X. Oh,